Hey, welcome back to Smoke Signals. We are finally officially out of the doldrums of January, and we think there's going to be baseball maybe played somewhere where it's sunny this month. I don't know. I'm looking out my window right now, and it's it's dark and snowy and doesn't look great, but baseball's on the horizon, and we have some good baseball news to talk about finally. I feel like uh, we haven't had any real great news to talk about on a Tribe podcast in a while, so... I'm looking forward to that perking things up. I'm Justin Ladd. I'm joined by Willie Hood. Willie, how you doing? And and I I feel like we're going to get baseball this month. I really do. Yeah, it's looking that way, even though players and owners don't have an agreement in place. It'll happen one way or the other. Let's put it that way. But uh, exciting news rolled out last week. And to be honest with you, I was really excited, excited um, Friday night um, when the tribe signed Eddie Rosario and and of course I think it was the same day that the Cesar Hernandez uh, deal was made official as well so getting those two guys in um, nice to see them upgrade the roster a little bit and bring in a few veterans yeah. for this uh, lineup. Kind of surprising I mean the Cesar Hernandez thing was super strange like that I, I don't think any of us thought that after the Lindor trade that that was going to be something they did. We haven't even, we haven't even had an official podcast since the Lindor trade. Uh, I don't think so, but I think everyone, or we did have a podcast. I think after that, it was right after the new year. Gosh, it's been such a weird 2021 start to 2021. I already forgot, but I did not expect them to trade for or sign Cesar Hernandez after they had traded for, Ahmed Rosario and, and Andres Jimenez. So it was such a weird fit. And I know everybody like on Twitter was saying, you know, why are you addressing the infield when clearly the outfield is, is more of a need and, and there's no fit in the infield. Um, it is, it is a weird fit. I don't really know what they do now with the infield. I mean, Cesar Hernandez is a nice player. He was good here last year. He won a gold glove. He led the league in doubles in that short season and, you know, generally a good fit and, and could hit lead off again. But um it still does complicate things. I mean, it definitely makes them better, especially, you know, obviously signing Eddie Rosario, which we'll get to. But um, when that was initially announced, like, what were you thinking? Because my, my only thinking was, okay, Andres Jimenez is going back to AAA to they're going to sandbag his service time. That was the only thing I really thought. And I know, I know Jimenez skipped AAA in, in 2020 and it was a short season, but, he really held his own in the majors. I mean, he had a, a way to run straight a plus mark above a hundred. It's only 21. He played great defense. Like I don't see any reason to go to triple other than service time manipulation. Well, he needs to work on his pickoff. Oh, wait, no, that doesn't apply to him. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I'll be really honest. And I think I mentioned this uh, when they brought in Rosario and, and Jimenez, what they did is provide themselves options and they have plenty of those. And, you know, it feels like they're blocking some other guys. Of course, we don't know what we have, so to speak, um, with the minor league seasons being delayed last season. Who knows where players are at when it comes down to it. So being able to provide the team with some upper level depth at the very least and, um, Rosario, 
I think his athleticism, his arm, his speed would all translate if he played center field, right field, left field, second base. He has the ability, I think, to move around the diamond if he needed to. And I think that's kind of been their take, that they would possibly use him in that type of role. Uh, whether that really happens or not, you know, remains to be seen. But, I mean, there's a couple of other guys like Owen Miller and Tyler Freeman who feel like they're getting bottlenecked in this. And, you know, obviously it feels like with Rosario, Hernandez, Chang, who am I forgetting? It feels like there's 36, roster, 36 shortstops on the roster, man. Um with all with all of this in middle infield depth, you know it, it's it's got to play out somehow. And with the rumors of Rosario getting dealt, I, you know I don't want to get too far in that, but um, you know it, it's definitely given them a lot of options and given them the ability to go in a variety of directions. Uh, with that, they can they can make trades, they can utilize that depth, or they can just stay as they are. Um, you know, bringing in Hernandez, I I like bringing back Hernandez because it provides them some stability in the middle infield, especially after losing Lindor. Um, the contract terms coming in at $1.25 million less than he made last year. Interesting that he got less money and he's coming off of a gold glove season. Um, he is a year older and he's 31 now, uh, so he's not an older old player, so to speak. Um, but he was solid last year at the plate. He's somebody that they obviously like. Um, but the option year seems odd, and there's no buyout to it. So this only benefits Cleveland in my mind because they're not paying anything additional if they decide to let him go at the end of the season. Or another possibility would be to trade him midseason. Let's see, say that the season doesn't go well. There's some injuries. And um, they really get stagnant this year and the offense just never does take off. Then they have the alternative to trade Fernandez with a year and a half of control, so to speak, um, at the deadline, you know. So it, it does create some options for this team in the long run. Yeah, I mean, roster flexibility is, is really good. It's something they really haven't had a ton of. And I, I, I'll be curious to see how they do handle it because they haven't really had a guy who really moves around much. They haven't, you know, they haven't utilized a super utility player who actually has value. Like we talked about, like maybe Rosario, maybe Jimenez, maybe Yu Chang, eventually maybe Owen Miller. We'll see. They haven't really like maximized their bench. That's something I think we always go back to. At least I always do is when you're not willing to, spend in the upper echelon or even middle of the pack salary wise, you know, you've got to be creative with your roster and win on the fringes and have really, you know, a really complex roster that can help you win a number of ways. And I think one of those ways is to maximize it and, and utilize your bench, you know, and, and with Lindor in the past, you know, he liked to play every game. Usually Ramirez does Cesar Hernandez in the past has played every game and Carl Santana had Well, Lindor's gone and, Santana's gone. They're definitely going to want to play Ramirez every day, but um, you know, the, whoever they play at short, maybe they can move somebody around and then uh, who knows what they'll do at first base, but maybe they could eventually find a way to work with Randall Reyes in the outfield and 
open up DH, make things a little more flexible. I would like to see him do that. And I, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that's the way they go with the signing. I mean, you, you plug Caesar in a second, maybe either him and Edward Rosario becomes that option. I know, you know, he can't play the outfield or first base, but could play third and, and you can at least move him around and do different things and keep guys healthy and keep your lineup flexible. I think that's, what's going to help. The only other thing I could see about the option is I wrote about this the other day was that, like you said, you know, trade it, trade him, trade him if, the, if things don't go well this year. Um, but if who, I mean, who knows what's going to happen in the minor league season this year? Like, I think we're going to have a minor league season. Who knows how long it's going to be, but you know, what happens if there is a minor league season and it's like, I don't know, 50 or 60 games. What if it's a short minor league season for all we know, you know, do you think that Tyler Freeman or Owen Miller are, are going to be ready in 2022? If they only have 60 minor league games this year, they could be ready, but you know, the Indians, if, well, if there isn't even as a season next year, who knows uh, about that? Let's just assume there is for this argument. Cause I, we want to have good. We want to talk about good news, not bad news. Um, if, if, if those guys aren't ready to start 2022, then because there's a short minor league season and they don't have enough development this year, then, you know, you kind of have a fallback option. You can bring Caesar back next year, or if they do trade him, I feel like the, the option kind of not, not, a, not a, a, a big amount, but it sort of inflates his trade value because a team trading for him doesn't seem as just a rental. If they trade for him, they know if he's good, they have the option to bring him back the next year and he's extremely, extremely affordable again. So the option, the fact that it's a club option and there's no buyout um, can only help the Indians. And, and as, as much as we say, we don't want to bottleneck some of the minor leaguers. I think there's a lot of fail safes by having that option, which I can't believe Cesar Hernandez even agreed to, but that's only good things for the Indians. Yeah, that's, that's how a uh, team wants to structure an option. <laughs> Because they they only benefit from that. They have all of the leverage with that type of deal. He got an under what I think is an under market um, value, and also having control for another year. You know that, that's a heck of a deal for the tribe. I I really like that. And then to add Rosario on top of it, that was a nice pickup. Um, you know he Rosario bats left, and he's. He's really hit well in Cleveland. I'm not looking at the numbers right now, but I know it was something like 353 throughout his career, and he really produced a lot of power at Progressive Field. Obviously, they're hoping that he's able to do the same um, when he's calling Cleveland home. Yeah, and that's it. We'll talk about Hernand or uh, Rosario Bix. I have some interesting things I'm looking at on that. Uh, so, see, yeah, Caesar's back. I. If I had to guess today, right now, if nothing changes, like if there's no Ahmed Rosario trade, which we, we can get to later in the podcast, if there's no trade there, my best guess is that Caesar starts at second and Rosario's at short and Jimenez is open in the year in the minor leagues and they're using Yu Chang as some sort of utility guy. That would be my best guess right now. Do you Do you see that differently? No, I actually agree. I think at uh, at some point, once they've gained that extra year of control uh, with Jimenez, they'll they'll give it a couple of weeks. You know, as I said, he needs to work on his pickoff move. <laughs> his leadoffs, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, they'll have him do something. Um, lay, laying down bunts or something, you know, something 
um, <laughs> that uh, <laughs> something that uh, Terry uh, Francona will really want him to work on there. You know, so mm-hmm. they'll find an excuse to send him down if if Rosario is not traded. Now, if Ahmed Rosario is not traded, I guess I should <laughs> clarify which of the two. It's strange having two of, two of the guys uh, uh, with the same name on the same team now. So. Um, we've had two Ramirez's. We've had a couple Santanas. So we, uh-huh. yeah. I guess it was time. You always have to have two of somebody. I feel like there's always two of somebody. Um, I had I yeah. We can talk about we had we had Bauer and then Bauer. That's true. We did, very briefly, <laughs> that was the case. I can't think of anybody else. We brought you know we had OP and Roberto Perez or OP and OT. Not that they had the same last name, but you had OP and OT. Um, that was confusing enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, what I was saying, Justin, is that I, I do agree with you. I, I think uh, Rosario in that scenario would end up being your shortstop, Hernandez, your second baseman. I think Chang ends up being the utility guy no matter what. Um, Ernie Clement gets b- bumped uh, back to Columbus. He's somebody that we forgot um, to mention already. But you have other guys like Owen Miller. And obviously, we said Tyler Freeman. You have Gabriel Arias. So there's a lot of lot of middle infield talent on the roster already, and there's a lot more that is coming. You know, there's a there's a storm brewing, so to speak, with all of this prospect depth. Um, but that's a conversation for another time. And and I know we've alluded to that previously, but I definitely agree with what you're saying. I think uh, Gimenez in that scenario would end up back. In AAA. And that is unfortunate because I don't I don't think Jimenez needs the time in AAA, but you know it is what it is, and it seems odd they would do that given the pipeline of infielders they have coming that you would just want to get him in there and figure out where he fits in the future with those guys rather than buy extra service time. But I guess maybe if they do that, you know they create some extra trade value out of that if they if they decide to trade him or or if they try to say try to trade somebody else behind him and he's the future at shortstop. Who knows? Um, what, let's move to- I'd, I'd argue that he's a more proven commodity than anything they have in the minors right now. So sure. that would be the, that would be the motivation of um, keeping him by putting him down in the minors. And he's a heck of a shortstop at that, you know, so there's not, there's not a lot of um, guys that can probably pick it as good as him in the, in, in the farm system. And we have some good um, shortstops in the, in the farm system in Cleveland, you know, mm-hmm. um, but he is a heck of a shortstop. I, I think you've noted that whenever you did uh, a write up on one of the Mets players. Yeah, I caught him in the. I just caught him in the background. I was writing up. Uh, I forget the pitcher's name at this point because I've been writing about prospects all winter from different systems at this point. And yeah, I happened to see him and as behind him, and and man, he made some nice plays up the middle and but very smooth and gifted doing it. So I don't think, I don't think there's going to be, I'm not saying he's going to be a gold glove winner. I know Lindor has won a gold glove in the past. Um, I don't see there's much of a a defensive downgrade from Lindor to Jimenez whenever Jimenez takes over shortstop. I can't say the same for Rosario, uh, Rosario, but yeah, if Jimenez is is playing shortstop, there's not any, if at all, um, a defensive downgrade with him back there from Lindor. With Rosario, we got I want to skip to this real quick since we've just mentioned it. 
you know, there's been some smoke about the Reds being interested in him and, and Cleveland getting calls on Rosario after he got traded. And, you know, he does seem like an odd fit here now that they've signed Hernandez and that Hernandez signing kind of, you know, does give some credence to those rumors, right? Like that makes sense that they would sign uh, Hernandez if they were interested, at least, at least, per, you know, entertaining trading Rosario. Um, you know, his, his prospects are kind of faded, even though he is a former highly regarded prospect, but the Indians have other needs. Um, they still, they could improve their third catcher. They need catcher in the upper minors. Uh, Bo Taylor is the only other catcher in the 40 man roster. And, you know, he's an emergency catcher at best. They have nobody. If you look at our depth charts on the Indians baseball insider.com, I don't even have anybody listed at Columbus behind Bo Taylor because the rest of the catchers in the organization have not had any experience above high A. Like they've had a couple guys lower in the minors. Like I'm talking like Lake County Lynchburg area, like Eric Rodriguez and uh, Michael, Michael Rivera, uh, just, just some other you know, random guys that they've moved to Akron or Columbus just to serve as the backup, just in case, but they weren't actually there as part of their development. Nobody that they actually would consider developing or, or is a significant piece has been above high a. So I don't even know, like I have Naylor starting in double a just cause he caught at the alternate site all year, but like Mike Rivera and Gavin Collins haven't been above Lynchburg or high a now that they're low a, I don't know. Um, so they definitely need a catcher somewhere in AAA, whether it's a prospect or um, an older prospect, someone who maybe has a little more upside than Bo Taylor, um, and they need bullpen help. So I know we've, we've been kicking around ideas privately um, besides the Reds. Like, I don't see – the Reds are obviously the one that's talked about the most, but you know we've been talking relievers, and we talked to Mir Garrett. Um, I, have, I have a really hard time thinking that the Reds are going to move on from Mir Garrett, so I'm curious to see – who else on the Reds do you think is a fit unless you really think they can make a play for Amir Garrett? I just with, – with how much time he's got left on his uh, control and the Reds are still kind of in win-now win mode, like I, I don't see them moving him unless you have to add more pieces. Yeah, and I don't think that they would want prospects, um, and it doesn't make sense for us to add in a pen arm unless we're just using a, a depth piece, you know, um, like Logan Allen or, or somebody like that. Um, I don't think that gets it done for them. Um, you know, I, I think we would probably be looking more like a, a middle reliever or something like that. I mentioned to you um, privately, uh, Lucas Sims is an arm I would have interest in. I think he has five more years of control. Uh, struck out, I think, 10 more batters, 10 to 15 more batters than innings pitched last year. Um, somebody that is a uh, has average or above average control. I think he was a former first round pick of the Braves and I'm not quite sure how he ended up in Cincinnati. I believe it was through a trade. Um, but uh, he, he was a, an arm that struck me that I think that Cleveland would have some interest in, you know, it, it's really hard to figure out what would they want? What would Cleveland want in return? Um, for a shortstop, and I joked, of course, we'd want another shortstop back. Uh, Why? Because <laughs> we don't have enough, you know. So, um, but Lucas Sims was somebody I threw out as an alternative to to uh, Amir Garrett, and of course, focusing on a uh, a reliever makes a lot of sense because I think that they're 
is a need for a veteran arm. And I know Terry Pluto mentioned Shane Green as a possibility in free agency. I think it's something that Cleveland could do. Um, look to move Ahmed Rosario's salary too, um, especially if their budget is tight and they stretch themselves a little bit more than they wanted to do um, this early on, perhaps giving themselves a little bit more financial flexibility for additions at the trade deadline. You know, I, I think looking ahead, Cleveland typically has worked with about $5 million or so that they will pick up or, or have shown a willingness to pick up at the trade deadline. And that's kind of what I'm alluding to there by trading Rosario because of salary. When you have a better, or my opinion, a better, more talented, gifted young shortstop like, like Jimenez that um, you could plug and play right away and really, you're not going to take a step back. In fact, um, given as pushed Rosario out of that role with the Mets last year. So I think, you know, if you base it on talent and ability at shortstop alone, I think Jimenez is the shortstop. And then that obviously pushes Rosario to the bench. Does Cleveland want two players making over $2 million on their bench? You know, the other being Hedges, um, I don't know. You know, maybe they end up trading Hedges or even Roberto Perez, but I, I don't think that's even likely at this point. Um, I have mentioned that before, that something I thought that Cleveland would possibly do would be to trade one of the catchers and free up that salary and reallocate um, those finances. But uh, frankly, I'm just not seeing it. There's been no smoke or not that there's been a whole lot of smoke around anything this winter because there sure hasn't as far as the offseason goes. Um, but we're finally seeing some movement, and, and I think trading Rosario makes the most sense for Cleveland. It would free the log jam, but it's what I alluded to earlier when I said it gives them options. Um, you know, it gives them the creative ability to make trades now. They could make a deal for Rosario now, or they could go to the trade deadline with him. And let's say they needed a center fielder that could use him in that package for a center fielder, along with plenty of the other prospects that they have in the system. You know, it, as I alluded to, there's already a log jam and there's plenty of prospects that will need to be added to the roster at the end of this coming season. So, um, you know, I think that's one thing that they will address later on. But I think um, the thing to do would probably and what I would do personally is to shop Rosario and see if I can get a reliever and see if I could pick up a, um, a backstop too. Um, I know that you and I have talked about one from Oakland that we like. Yeah. Jonah Heim, who I'm actually just got done writing up for prospects live, who I, I got a chance to see a lot of good. Yeah. He's got a good arm and, and he's kind of an average receiver. He's not really like a great framer and, uh, I wouldn't say he's a great blocker, but I know he can control the run game. He's just an average defender, but he makes a lot of contact. And there's some power hidden in there that he hasn't gotten to, but he that contact approach seems to fit the Indians very well if he has a strong arm as a backup. So, And the Oakland's their team that needs a shortstop. I mean, right now, I, I have to go look at their depth chart, but I don't know. I don't know who's playing. I, either way, the Reds and the Athletics are going to get a shortstop before they go to straight, spring training. They have they have uh, Chad Pinder there right now. I suppose he could play there, and they could start Tony. Kemp. He's more of a utility man, yeah. and if, and he only played he only played like twenty games last year. I I'm not sure if he was injured or what exactly happened with him. But it's interesting that you mean 
that you mention um, Pinder because Pinder is somebody that the tribe has been um, linked to in prior trade. Oh, that is true. Um, a year, a year ago or two years ago, even I think Pinder was a player that was mentioned. So he's somebody that I could see Cleveland pushing for in a package. And when I say package for Rosario, I don't, I don't imagine that they're going to get a whole lot. But I could see like Pinder in a in a minor leaguer or Pinder and a uh, one of the newer additions to the 40 man roster like um Wanderson Charles somebody who's kind of like in the 30 ranking um range for the uh athletics uh they have a couple of other interesting arms in the bullpen but a lot of like James Caprillion um Paul Blackburn some guys who were former starters who are probably going to end up in bullpen roles maybe Cleveland pushes for one of them or, or something like that in addition um, I really like the idea of bringing in Heim because that would give them a third, uh, a third option. And of course, we're speculating in all of this what would be value. Um, but I think Heim and maybe another piece would be enough. Maybe Pinder and, and uh, another minor leaguer would be enough to free Rosario. And Pinder is a guy that could play outfield and infield. I think he's more of a natural second baseman than a, than a shortstop, but I haven't really seen a whole lot of him since college. Um, haven't really watched him with the A's, to be honest, but definitely somebody that has been in talks before and somebody that we've seen that name floated around in um, during the winter meetings. Yeah, I completely forgot about that connection. That happened, I want to say, last winter. Uh, that- yeah, that was, last, that was last winter, and... Um, Oh, gee, the, the writer from The Athletic, I can't remember her name offhand. I think that she said that uh, Cleveland had in, inquired about him the year prior as well. So there's longstanding interest in Pinder. So I, he's someone I could see Cleveland pushing for. Um, does that bump Chang out of the utility role? Possibly. But to me, you're looking to upgrade the roster overall, and that's something that you could possibly do by making a move like that. Yeah, I would say at this point, the fact that they made the trade for Rosario and Jimenez and they signed Cesar Hernandez um, for all the Yu Chang fans out there, I hate to tell you, this this is a, a very, it's, I want to say it's an indictment on him, but I think it's a pretty clear um, decision that they don't think he's a starter because they could have easily just decided, well, Yu Chang is going to start at second base and we're going to see what we have and go from there. They they chose more middle infielders from the Mets. I know for the, in the Lindor trade, there were some rumors that the, the Blue Jays made a push and the Blue Jays had offered more prospects than than right now help, um, which I took to mean, you know, Jordan Groshans, of course. But um, And the reason I, I, I said the Indians probably rebuffed that um, offer is because they were looking for guys who could play in 2021. And, and also they didn't want more prospects. They had to add to the 40 man roster this winter. That's the other problem they have. And I think that's why they wanted to go for right now help. Um, and the fact that they, they settled on two middle infielders. I mean, shoot, they could have, I'm not sure who else they could have offered, but they could have easily just said Andre Simenez and, you know, who else, a reliever and an outfielder. I don't know, but they chose two middle infielders. I, I wonder if Rosario was kind of a, a throw-in because I know he had kind of fallen out of favor with the Mets on and off the field, and I wonder if the Indians taking him was kind of a favor for how much salary the Mets were taking off Cleveland's hands. But I'm sorry, I, I think this says a lot about Yu Chang. I don't think he's going to get much of a shot here, and and I think we both agree 
as nice of a, a player he is, or he could be, I just, I don't know. I just don't see, I don't see him as a starter. I don't see him providing enough value offensively or defensively to be a starter. So I think that's the way to go. And as far as Rosario is concerned, some of the points you brought up are interesting. I think there's two ways they're going to do this. They're, they're either going to let him play in early in the year and build himself some trade value and hope that he kind of, you know, a fresh start rebuilds his value a little bit as a, as a, a prospect or a young player. And they trade him because I don't, I, I don't think he's long for here or he plays the whole year and, he plays poorly and they just decide to non-tender him and they move on. Um, it's risky if they don't trade him now. If they if they feel like they're going to trade him, they are taking a risk and playing him this year and hoping that he rebounds and, and plays like a prospect he was and they can get more out of him in a trade. But I wonder what they can get for him right now. But I, I think that there's two ways they go, a couple ways they go about that. But either way, my guess is come 2022, Ahmed Rosario is not on this roster. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, I'll raise this question is, how does his bat produce if he's pushed off of his natural position or, or what has been his position on the field? And we know that does affect some players, and we don't know how it would affect him. Um, I, I tend to say don't take that risk. Get value back for him now. And if that means getting a young reliever with some control and maybe a, maybe another – young prospect, you know, somebody that's far away or getting back a guy that's in triple A that can help mid season or something like that. If, it, if that's what it really comes down to. But I think the better thing to do is to free that money, reallocate it into the bullpen. If you, if you can't get back um, a now piece, you know, get back a prospect or two that can help soon. Um, or go the really young route and get back a highly talented kid that is years away. And that seems to be more of Cleveland's approach with some of the moves, like bringing back a Josh Wolf and an Isaiah green, two recent draft picks who won't need to be added to the 40 man roster for, uh, I believe it's another three years and four years for green. Um, you know, doing that kind of prevents the log jam or it, helps avoid the logjam that they're going to be facing this coming off season uh, with all of the depth and all of the players that they have approaching rule five um, draft status. What about uh, my, my hope is go ahead. No, go, go ahead and finish. I was going to throw another trade idea, but go ahead and finish your thought. My hope is they're able to bring back something that hopefully a young reliever uh, or uh, um something that can benefit the team long-term. Who knows, maybe they add to him and are able to bring back a, a, a Nick Senzel, somebody who's lost that star luster, or um, Jesse Winker, somebody that you've mentioned privately. Um, you know, I think there's options to bring back more outfield depth there by dealing him possibly too. Yeah, I kind of think the outfield's out of play at this point just because they've added Rosario and, and the whole thing is kind of a mess, which I do want to get to. The last thing I was going to say was we mentioned, you know, Jonah Heim from from Oakland and um, Chad Pinder, which might be Fitz. I was, I was thinking, you know, the Reds have had the most smoke. They really need to have a needed shortstop because I don't think Jose Garcia is ready to start this year. Um, 
you know, they have two, three catchers on their roster. Technically they have Tucker Barnhart, who's been their starter. They have Tyler Stevenson who has all-star upside and he's ready to play. He's ready. Um, you know, they also have Kyle Farmer who has, has caught in the past, has played middle infield in his career. Uh, very, you know, kind of like Tony Walters. He's very versatile um, and has an option left. He's a little bit older. And then if you maybe, you know, if you think Rosario is a little more valuable than Kyle Farmer, but Farmer gives you some catching depth as well as some middle infield depth. Um, maybe they can get Lucas Sims and, and Kyle Farmer for Ahmed Rosario and I'll fill the bullpen need and, you know, get yourself that extra catcher who also serves as some infield depth. You know, there's your, your thirst for another middle infielder, but also as a catcher. <laughs> you figured it all out there. I, man. I was going through. I'm like, oh yeah, Kyle Farmer has, has definitely played middle infield before. And actually Ross, the resource on fan graphs has him as their starting shortstop right now, which is interesting. I was about to mention that. I, I think that's absolutely hilarious. Uh, I've never seen Farmer play uh, shortstop, but I have seen him play catcher. And I think he's an adequate catcher, if I recall correctly. Um, nothing really stood out, which is a compliment when a, when a player is playing catching or, or when a catcher is catching. You know, that is a compliment that nothing really stands out. That means they weren't making any horrible mistakes. They weren't um, getting any catcher's interference calls or anything like that you know i i know that's a personal pet peeve <laughs> yeah <laughs> farmer farmer caught nine, 15 games last year he played first base for a game he played 13 games at second he played two games at third and he played 15 at shortstop and he actually uh played two innings in left field so any any pitched in 2019 one third of innings look at that he can do it all sign me up <laughs> All right, so we've we've made the trade. Ahmad Rosario go to, goes to the Reds for Kyle Farmer and Lucas Sims. All right, we'll call it in. <laughs> um, I, I am curious to see what they do because, I, like I said, I think bullpen is the biggest thing. I do think they need another catcher because um, unless they really feel good, I, and that's not why they're paying so much money for two catchers. I mean, so much money as in relative to what their payroll is for having um, two catchers, but – We'll see how they go there. We thought before they were going to trade one of those two, and I think at this point they probably won't, but we'll see. Um, let's talk about Eddie Rosario because that's that's really exciting too. Eddie Rosario is probably the best outfielder Cleveland has gone on the free agent market to get since Nick Swisher. I know that's some bad juju, and, and you know we don't want to bring up bad deals. We hope this one goes better. It's only a one-year deal. He gets one year, $8 million, I believe. Um, you know, we thought maybe Jock Peterson was a good fit, but look, Eddie Rosario for his career, um, except for his first two years in the bigs, he's had, um, above average offense every year. He's had a what, rate of runs created plus over 100 the last four years. Uh, he's been really good the last two years. And actually, you know what? Last year, this surprised me. I didn't realize this because it was a short year, but we saw the twins so much. So I didn't know it may, maybe, maybe. We don't think about this because he plays the Indians so much, but he had an 8% walk rate last year, which is a career high for him. And that was one of my pet peeves with Rosario was the guy has a hacker and he swings everything, doesn't walk. But I figure he takes all those swings against the Indians because he can hit him so well, right? So that's why he doesn't walk as much because he's always he's not taking a walk against Cleveland. But uh, 117, weighted runs created plus in 2017, 114 and 18, 103 and 19, kind of a down year, even though he had 32 home runs. Um, didn't get on base that much. And we know how much home runs kind of artificially inflate offense, even though it's 
relative to the league. And last year, 110 in a 60 game season, a uh, 476 slugging percentage. As weird as it is, and I, I'm still very concerned about how it shifts around the outfield and, you know, what they're going to do about it because they, you know, they kicked the can down the road last year with the Domingo Santana thing. But I'm actually on board with the signing because I think he's going to hit enough to make this lineup better. It's not like he's got to be your best hitter because we have Jose Ramirez and you also have Fran Mel Reyes. But the park factors in Cleveland are what I'm looking at. Like, there was an article on Fangraphs today, you know, it, uh, 100 is neutral as far as park factors are concerned. For home runs, for left-handed hitters, a progressive field is 104, so 4% above average. I keep forgetting that what a what a great park it is in Cleveland for left-handers to hit with power in. So that kind of piques my interest as well. But what was your first thought in the signing? Because I was, I was having a relaxing Friday night, Willie. I was watching – the Cavs game. I wasn't really doing anything. Uh, I had no plans. I had a long week at work and then that happened. And then, you know, I spent all night on, on Twitter uh, doing the live stream, which I was glad to do because I was excited to talk about it, but that really kind of surprised me to be honest. It, it kind of came out of nowhere because there hadn't been a lot of smoke until, well, John Becker tweeted earlier in the day that Cleveland was in on Rosario. Um, Interestingly enough, Terry Pluto earlier in the week had downplayed Cleveland's interest in Rosario, even though he'd been pretty reliable this offseason as far as Cleveland's moves. Um, but it, it made sense to sign him to a one-year deal. One, it gets him back out into free agency. Two, it, there's not a lot of risk for Cleveland. Interesting that he got a little bit more money than Jock Peterson. I don't remember um, Peterson's exact terms. I know his his pay will be seven million this year. Um, so to see Rosario get eight million this year, it, maybe they threw in an extra million to not get a second year. Maybe he wanted to walk or be a free agent again next year. I don't know. Um, but I really like the signing for Cleveland. First of all, that power left-handed bat. I think there's been a lot of emphasis on right-handed, and and of course there's been the switch hitters in the lineup when when you had Frankie here and. Santana here and then having uh, Jose Ramirez here as well. But I like having that left-handed bat because exactly what you were saying was the park factor because it progressive does play well for left-handed power. So to add a left-handed bat with power who has a pretty substantial track record of hitting well in progressive field is encouraging to me. It also helps offset that loss of a slugger like Carlos uh, provided in the middle of the lineup. So where Rosario fits in right now, who knows, anywhere from three to five in the lineup, I don't know. Um, but I'm excited to add that type of power potential and the offense potential with someone like Cesar Hernandez getting on base in front of him and, and Rosario potentially driving him in. Or maybe it'll be Fran Mil Reyes or Jose Ramirez. Um, but any of those three sluggers coming in after Hernandez, you know, I, I like the opportunity that this offense could have. They should no longer be, I think they were 27th last year in offense. And I think I heard you say earlier today, or, or I read you say that they should be middle of the pack. And I would completely agree with that. I think that they're going to have 
opportunity to not be a um, stationary offense, but one that can do something. Obviously, Rosario brings power. Um, Hernandez, some selectivity at the plate. He doesn't have power, but he has the ability to uh, drive players home with doubles, get some stolen bases. Um, but overall, I thought it was a, a heck of a move for Cleveland. I really liked it, the signing. And I like that it is a name that fans yeah, will Yeah, I guess that does kind of matter. I feel like for years now, outside of like, obviously outside of Edwin Canacion, I think people people were obviously excited about the Swisher and Bourne deals back in 2012, 2013, because the Cleveland just hadn't spent at that point on free agents. And obviously, it, you know, that did come back to bite them. But yeah, I mean, this is a, this is a guy fans are familiar with and um, has has done a lot of damage versus Cleveland in the past. So I, I'm always usually against the the theory that you know you're obviously they're not they didn't make the sign to appease the fan base that Cleveland would never do that. They're always trying to make the best decision for the team and, and hoping that you know the play will speak for itself and the fans will get on board when they're winning if they made the right decisions and it worked out, but. It is kind of, I mean, I know it's only a one-year deal too, but it is kind of nice that, that fans have, have some familiarity with him. He's done well against Cleveland and, um, you know, hopefully continues to hit other people in the division very well. It is kind of nice to bring that presence in and, and maybe give, you know, obviously it's not going to make up for Francisco Lindor. Nothing can, but it is kind of nice to bring that familiar face in and, and get, get give fans a reason to get excited, like, you know, the guy had 32 home runs in 2019, and I'm like, well, I'm sure a lot of people thought he should have been an MVP candidate because, what, 32 home runs, 109 RBIs? Wow, that's great numbers. But context to Lee and his, his walk rate and the low OBP, he only had a 103 weighted runs created plus because, you know, the league's offense at the time is so inflated. But that doesn't mean he can't be productive, and especially a fit on a roster. I think um, Roberto Vin on, on Twitter – when I was doing the live on Friday brought up that the last Cleveland outfielder hit over 30 home runs was Grady Sizemore in 2008. That that's insane. They have not had an outfielder in so long that has been capable of hitting 30 home runs. I mean, Reyes can, but he's not really an outfielder. So just bringing that potential in, I think makes a huge world of difference. Even if, you know, compared to league offense wise, he's only a little bit above average a little bit above average is quite a bit for this outfield. You know, the outfield last year as a collective whole um, had a 54 weighted runs created plus mark. That's 46% below league average, just league average. So having a guy out there himself who is above league average, you know, makes a whole world of difference. I think the only thing I question about it is, you know, who goes to the minors? Like, I think this sends Bradley. Okay. I guess you go to spring training, right? And you, you have Mercado and Zimmer battle it out for center field. And I guess, you know, they never make decisions based on spring training, but maybe they send Mercado back to triple a, even though he's 26, Zimmer's 28. I don't know. You, you have one of those guys start the year in the center field. And then left field is Rosario or right field, whatever one he's comfortable with. I would probably say left field in Cleveland. And then right field, you figure it out between, you know, Luplo is your left-handed specialist, you know, hitting lefties. And then Jake Bowers has to be on the roster. And then you have Daniel Johnson. I don't know. 
I'm concerned that Johnson's going to go back to AAA to start the year when he should get a, a shot to play. But maybe they send Zimmer back and they start Mercado in center and they they put Bowers and Luplo on the bench and they platoon Luplo with Johnson. And then I don't know what Bowers does at that point, but unless they move Josh Naylor around. Like that, Josh Naylor could factor in the outfield. The, the whole thing's just confusing. Like Naylor and Bowers are going to be on this roster come opening day. We know that. It's just what role is Bowers going to play, and is he going to is he going to push Daniel Johnson back to AAA? That's my only concern. Is unlike Yu Chang, I think Daniel Johnson could play in the major league level and be a at least a platoon starter. So my only concern is when are we going to see Daniel Johnson? And then I guess we probably weren't going to see Nolan Jones this year until July, and we probably still can. But I don't think this affects him as much as people think it might. I, I think the guy that really gets pinched in in all of this you mentioned, which is Jake Bowers, um, good possibility they find a way to get him on the roster, keep him on the roster as a left fielder, first baseman, backup type of guy. Um, I don't see Rosario in right field. I think Rosario ends up in left, Mercado in center. I think you, you end up with either Zimmer or Daniel Johnson as your left-handed part of a platoon with Luplo in right field. And as I said, I think um, I think Bowers is potentially on the bench. Then again, he could get he could end up being uh, a roster cut at the end of spring training. Uh, Bobby Bradley has an option. Bowers does not. So there's no guarantee that Bowers is going to make the roster as much as we think or as much as I've expressed that Bowers is probably on the team. I think this pinches him as a left-handed bat. I think that they potentially keep uh, a Zimmer over him because Zimmer has options. Daniel Daniel Johnson has options. And really, I think they want to play Josh Naylor every day, and that's likely at first base. I don't see Naylor in right field. Uh, even though he's shown some athleticism and has played right field before, I think with the Padres, it doesn't make sense to have essentially two left fielders in the outfield. Um, so you push Naylor to first base, call that home, and at some point you potentially bring up Nolan Jones in right field. Um, maybe left field, we shall see, but uh, uh, you know that that brings up where does Reyes go and where is Rosario and do they trade him? And, you know, that if they end up trading Eddie Rosario, it's because <laughs> right. the season went in the trash really quick. Um, I don't want to see that. I would like to see him here for a while. I, I will say that uh, I really like Eddie Rosario. I like the left-handed pop that he brings and I think he will benefit the lineup. You know, I'll, I'll say this and, this is not really about roster construction and who's on, on the team and not. Um, but I think so much we are trained as fans from Northeast Ohio to think all could go wrong. But what if we actually had the mentality for changes? What could this lineup do mm-hmm. if all went right for us for a change? You know, if Reyes hit 40 home runs like he has the potential to do, what if Naylor hit 25 home runs? What if rosario hit 30 home runs and ramirez hit 30 home runs and stole 20 bases you know what if this offense really clicks with those four guys and hernandez and Jimenez 
and uh, let's say well, yeah, 20, Roberto Perez has a decent like year. And he hits yeah, no, well, I mean, play. 2019, he was a great, <laughs> a great offensive catcher. What if he does that again or something close to it? I I think there's reason to be hopeful is, is exactly what I'm saying. Everyone is going to be on the same playing field. Um, all of the minor league prospects are on the same playing field. There are players who need a chance, and there are players who are at, at the end of their proverbial rope. And that's what we are seeing with a few of these prospects for Cleveland. Um, as much as you and I both like prospects, it's hard to see some guys come up and fail, but it's ultimately part of the game and it's part of why we follow the game too. Um, so some of these guys aren't going to be here at the end of spring training. I think a few of them will be forced back to the minors and it will probably lead to their end of time in Cleveland. Um, hopefully that means that they're bettering themselves elsewhere. Um, but, but I do think there's going to be some tough roster decisions and some players that we like and think are good people. Yeah, I, I think you brought up a good point about being conditioned to certain things. I guess I just assume the way Cleveland operates that with Jake Bowers being out of options and trying to get something out of that trade, they're just going to like, you know, force him on the roster and, and try to make it work. And they may do that, but you're right. If, if, if they feel like he's not best part of the roster going forward, maybe they DFA him and they, they bring somebody else on. Like you said, they, they have Johnson, they have Luplo or they have Zimmer. And I, I didn't even think of, of maybe having Mercado and Zimmer in the same outfit. That's interesting. Um, because Mercado and Rosario could play every day and you could platoon whoever in right field with Luplo or you can even get Rosario some reps in center field and move him around. I know that's been, that's been an option as well. Um, you know, maybe, maybe they are not dead set to having Bowers in the roster just because he's out of options. I, I mean, I, I guess I've just like hard wired in, into my brain that I'm because he's out of options. They're definitely going to keep him on. So I, the possibilities and they're not going to but you know sometimes they do play that route where they didn't force him up last year and they burned an option on him i i do think there's a good chance that he does make the team um but i will not be surprised if they say hey you know things aren't working out here we have bradley bradley has an option we'll send him down and we will move on from Bowers and take our $25,000 or whatever it is, whenever they trade him to the Orioles or the Marlins or whatever team that. Yeah. I mean, they could probably find home. somebody to, to take him on and do something with him. And I don't think Yandy Diaz is having a great career in Tampa Bay, but I think this at least should, maybe should prove to Cleveland. They've stopped making trades to Tampa Bay because they never work out well. I think I'm over that. Cause look like Hunter Wood is, is gone now. And so is, <laughs> Christian Arroyo and Urban Cardenas is now down there. And I know he didn't make the raise um, like top 64 prospects on fan graph. So maybe that wasn't a bad, as bad a loss as we thought it was, but I still have some faith in him and, and who really cares who is on a top prospect list anyway, what does that even mean? Um, I, when I, I wrote about this the other day and I had some interesting, not interesting. I had some pointed tweets about it last week about all this hand-wringing over like people were talking about like Keith Locking on his top 100 list for the, the athletic and none of the players the Indians got for um, 
Corey Kluber or or Lindor and Carrasco or Bauer or Clubman his list, even though he said in the intro that um, Jimenez didn't qualify for his list because he was no longer a rookie, but Baseball America had him on there because they were going by a different set of rules. Um, and Gabriel Arias made made the baseball prospectus top 100, and Arias made Keith Laws just missed. And, um, you know, I, I, I just – I don't understand this, like, look at where people are saying, oh, they have to get a top 100 prospect. Like, that just lacks so much context to me. I, I really don't like that notion of of just looking at it from that frame that frame of reference, like, you know, he didn't, and there, and there's so many top hundred lists. There's so many outlets now that do this, you know, just cause he doesn't make one, you know, doesn't mean anything. I know Kluber and Ramirez are unicorns and, and not, it's not a, they're the exception to the rule maybe, but they weren't top hundred prospects, but you know, neither was Mike Clevenger, I don't think. And, Ian Bieber right. was not. Clevenger was not. Zach Plesac was not. Michael Brantley was not. Um, no. You know, we can go down the list. I don't think Jake Westbrook was. Um, well, Josh Naylor was. You know, you can just keep on going down the list. The number, the number's arbitrary to begin with. Josh Josh Naylor made a top 100, uh, top 100 list at one time, but you're right. They, they are arbitrary. It's just... I don't know that that frame of reference just makes no sense to me. I don't think it includes the context in which Cleveland targeted players. Like, how, also, how do you know next year that that Isaiah Green and Josh Wolf are not top 100 prospects? What if Joey Cantillo is a top 100 prospect? What if what if Arias makes more than the baseball prospectus top 100 prospects next year? And. There are other guys that could surprise us. Somebody that I really like that Cleveland picked up in a trade that, you know, hasn't got a whole lot of smoke, Owen Miller. You know, I would not be surprised if he's an everyday starting second baseman, whether that be in Cleveland or if he gets dealt to Philadelphia for a catcher or a reliever or whatever. Who, who knows, you know, at this point. But that's somebody that I think that could develop into an everyday player. And it's really not about rankings. It's about development. That's what really matters when it comes down to it. And that's something Cleveland has been excellent with, with their pitching. We've seen that as they've dealt prospects away. And of course they've acquired guys who um, had some question marks who were no longer, um, whose star was no longer shining so brightly like a Trevor Bauer. who They acquired um, a Carlos Carrasco who they acquired as well that, you know, they weren't getting all that chatter. They weren't they weren't that hyped prospect anymore, but the talent was still there. It just needed to be tapped into. And that's something that Cleveland has been excellent at doing is acquiring. Right. They always seem to get players that the they talent. make the most out of. Like Joey like well, Joey Cantillo specifically was on fan. He might have been a top to, uh, hundred option in twenty twenty one. But you know, none of that none of that matters. You don't need to be a top hundred prospect to be a valuable player, even if you're not, you know, a diamond in the rough like Corey Cooper and, and Jose Ramirez were, um, you know, there's still other ways to provide value. Like, you know, Lonnie Chisnell and Jason Kipnis were not, you know, major prospects, but they, you know, made, they made a lot of contributions. Um, they're, you know, like you said, Michael Brantley, the same thing. Like 
you don't need to be a top 100 prospect to be a valuable player on a team that can provide value regardless just because you're not one of the top 100. And not only that, like you mentioned, the players the Indians targeted. And I, I wrote this yesterday. I said, you know what? If, if Cleveland's farm system was terrible and, and um, was like, you know, their, their farm system wasn't good in the, in the late 2000s, like 08, 09, um, the reason that that 07 team kind of bottomed out because they didn't have any prospects coming behind them. The system wasn't very good. The prospects they had were already on the team and they needed to be good with them and they didn't have anything behind them. But this this is a good farm system and they have a, a lot of young players that they need to get playing time for and get them developed. So if you add more young prospects, like they could have, like we talk about the Lindor deal with the Blue Jays, they could have gotten a couple more prospects from the Blue Jays and skipped getting a Jimenez and a, a Rosario but they already have young guys in the minors. Like if they had gotten Jordan Groshans from the Blue Jays, like how close to Nolan Jones is he? And how close to, you know, Gabriel Rodriguez who might play third base because they have a million shortstops. Like, you know, where do you fit him? And not only that, if he's got to be added to the 40 man roster this winter, because the rule five, you know, you've just further complicated adding Tyler Freeman and Alexi Planez and George Valera and Brian Rocchio and Aaron Bracho. All those guys got to be on the 40-man roster. If you go out and trade for more prospects that have to be on the roster at the same time, you're making it harder for yourself. Um, even if you're getting a better player long-term, you're going to lose somebody else long-term, and the Indians are going to lose people anyway. But, you know, you already have these young prospects. So if they were a bad farm system and they made these trades for young prospects, you know, to build their farm system back up in a Lindor and Carrasco trade, or the Kluber, well, the Kluber, because he had no value. That's the other thing that's stupid too is they trade Kluber when he has no value. But they could have targeted those types of players in that trade if their system was bad. The system's not bad, so they they tried to get major league help at the same time, and they also got prospects. But you know they just didn't get the flashiest names, and I don't know. I think I think like I said, I think it just lacks context to say that. Well, they didn't get a top 100 prospect. Well, did you look at the context of the trades? Did you look at the context of the roster? Like, if it was a total rebuild, yeah, you want to go for those high-risk top 100 types, but they went for low-variance help, and they went for guys that have that kind of talent, and they went for major league help. I, I just don't – I don't know why everyone's so black and white or, or so, you know, stuck to the the two choices on that. You know what I mean? You know, if I recall the Clevenger deal, um, Arias, Miller, Cantillo, mm-hmm. um, let me see. They got Quantrill and Hedges. That's five of the players. Seems like I'm forgetting somebody. Um, but, but anyways, several of those players, when I went and looked at another site's rankings, they had them ranked between 100 and 200, I would rather have multiple players ranked between 101 and 200 than have one player just because he's in the top 100 prospects. If you're looking for a player just because they're in the top 100 prospects, good chance you're looking at somebody who got a big signing bonus, probably because they are talented. But ultimately, I heard this um, 
last night watching the Royal Rumble. Um, <laughs> potential doesn't pay the rent. You know, and and what I'm saying is Cleveland's not buying potential in one prospect. They're buying the potential from two or three prospects when they make a right, trade. Multiple, multiple players, multiple swings at, you know, at, at chances to develop good players versus one or two different guys. Right. I, I agree with that. Exactly. That's the way they've done this in almost every trade from the Bauer trade to the, to the Clevenger trade and now to the Lindor trade. You're taking multiple swings at it and hoping that, you know, you're, you know, a 300 average gets you in the hall of fame. Well, if you acquire three prospects and one of them's really good, that's, that's pretty good. And, and maybe the other two aren't so good, or maybe one's, you know, just okay. And the other one doesn't make it, you know, not everybody, not every trade's a hit anyway. Like you're not going to trade for prospects and then all of them wind up being like really good. Like not, you know, I know people look at the Grady Sizemore trade and Cliff Lee turned into a Cy Young winner, even though that was kind of at the end of his peak here before they traded him. But like Sizemore is an all-star and they traded Brandon Phillips away too early. Like all three of those guys made an all-star team at some point in their career. That doesn't always happen on trades. But if you can get one really good tr- prospect out of. Yeah. Michael Brantley, um, you know, he wasn't the key piece. Carlos Carrasco was not the key piece who thought um, Corey Kluber would be what he became whenever they acquired him in a trade. Right. When or they got Mike him, Clevenger I thought, oh, hey, Pisano, who was pretty much done <laughs> at that point. And the angels decided to trade for him anyway. But like, I don't know if you have, a, if you have a 300 batting average on doing any of this, you know, you're doing, you're doing pretty darn good and you're going to get a valuable piece. That's why you take more swings at it. If you go for, a top 20 prospect. And, and again, this is not even, doesn't even, it's all relative. Like a top 20 prospect on the Mets may not be as good as a top 20 prospect on Cleveland. Cause our, you know, Cleveland system's better, you know, it, it just really depends. And, and it's all, you're also looking at it from the eyes of external evaluators. You're not looking at it from the eyes of these guys who have way more video on them, way more data on them um, and have way more scouts looking at them. You know, we see, what's on MLB pipeline on fan graphs and on baseball America. But the guys who work for these teams see a lot more and they have a lot more info. Now I'm not saying that means they're going to be hundred percent right on this and they know more than anybody else. Maybe, maybe there are some people out there. I like to think we do a good job at IBI, you know, but do we do as good a job as, as scouts on the Indians? Probably not because that's the reason they work there. Um, doesn't mean, like I said, doesn't mean they're going to, Yeah, I, I mean, I'm looking at probably four games for players, usually five. Um, I try to find as much footage as I can. I try to see at least four or five games for every player. Um, I'm not a professional <laughs> scout, and I don't have that time to dedicate to it. And a lot of us are, are making comments or, or saying, hey, these guys are or aren't prospects, and I'm not trying to take away. I, I do think some of us have a good feel for it. Um, but I, I'm trying to um, kind of build up the fact of what you're saying is, you know, these are professional scouts that do this for a living. And I think they do it well, especially with uh, with Cleveland and the organization that has developed all of this pitching. 
And yes, the hitting has not quite produced yet, but I think that's because we haven't seen the young hitters that have been drafted come through yet. And I think it's where, what we're about to see with a Nolan Jones and a Tyler Freeman and some of the other guys that are going to come in behind them. Um, I'll throw out Angel Martinez, somebody that I think who is going to be a possibly. Yeah, a I mean, there's, there's a lot of guys that, especially at shortstop, like we talked about. I mean, I, I'm still still unsure how they're going to divide the playing time up, like from from Tyler Freeman and Owen Miller down to Carson Tucker and, and you know, other guys down at that level. I don't know where they're going to find the playing time, and hopefully there's a long minor league season to do it, but. Yeah, I mean that. Like I said, we've said this multiple times. Cleveland was hurt so badly by not having a minor league season. I know, obviously, in context, you know, a lot of people were hurt by it. But from a from a prospect development standpoint, Cleveland was hurt really badly because of all the guys they have to sort through, and how many of them have not been above Lake County yet, and or even or Low A, because I guess Lynchburg's now Low A. So they have to get more of those guys further up the pipeline to really establish this system. And that's why, again, and that's, it goes back to why they didn't target high prospects that, you know, might have top hundred or top 50 potential because they already have guys that have that down there. They need guys further up the system or they need guys further away than that to kind of bridge the gap and make it a more complete system. So oh, that, that whole thing that was going on just really, I mean, it really bugged me because I think it's a, a lazy way to look at it and it really lacks nuance and, and I don't know, it kind of pushed me over the edge. That's why I wrote about it. And that's why I wanted to talk about it here. Um, speaking of prospects list sometime in this month, it is finally February sometime this month, we will finally roll out our top prospects list for the Indians. Um, it's not going to be a top 50. It's not going to be, I can't tell you how many it's going to be. So we're going to, we're going to take the approach of kind of an industry wide thing now where, you know, we don't just cut it off at an arbitrary point. We kind of just write about who we think the top prospects are, who are the most important prospects in the system and who do fans need to know about that could be 55. It could be 65. It could be 49. I don't know. We, we don't have a hard number. Um, but we're working on those now, and um, that's going to be out sometime this month. And it's going to be a little bit different, but I'm excited about it. So uh, stay tuned for that sometime this month. We'll have another other prospect stuff coming out as well. That is really all I have, Willie. Is there anything I missed, anything you want to add, anything we should spend another hour talking about? <laughs> Hopefully, uh, hopefully Cleveland will make some moves that uh, make us have to talk for another hour. I'll just throw that out there. Uh, no, nothing that I want to really toss out there right now. I, I do look forward to seeing what you guys have to say. You and Joe have to say um, about the top prospects. I know I've been working on mine. And yeah, it's going to be fun. We're going to finish the rankings. So the, yeah, the pro part of the approach we're taking right now is we're writing these players up and we're going to decide the rankings after we're done writing them up versus ranking them and then writing. So it's a new process for all of us. And I, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be really good. So if you are not a subscriber at Indians baseball insider.com, I highly recommend that you do it now. It's only four ninety nine. Ask for it for Valentine's day. Um, ask for it before opening day comes out. I mean, it's, it's super cheap. And if you have the means to do it and um, 
you know, we're going to try to give our, our readers something different because, you know, look, to be honest, there wasn't a minor league season last year. We didn't have an opportunity to go scout players like we normally would have either at games or on video. So instead of regurgitating everything we wrote a year ago on the top 50, we're going to go out and we're going to, we're going to change the format and we're going to fall more in line with um, industry best practices on ranking prospects. That means grades. That means a different format. So um, don't think that you're paying for last year's information. Some of it will be, but it's going to be presented in a different way and it's going to be a new way to, to grade players and, I think it's going to add a lot to the site and hopefully it's good. I'm excited to do it. Um, that's all I got. Yeah. Justin, I'll, Justin, I'll add to that. Um, you have different eyes looking at it now too, uh, because I came in kind of middle of the stream last year and then Joe is going to be riding on, on some guys. And I know that we are going to be riding um, some of the same players as last year, but, not all of them are going to be the same. So it's going to be different write-ups. It's not going to be the same write-ups as last year. And, you know, as I said, I'm looking for more, more footage um, to look at myself. So I'm trying to see more so I get a better feel for what is this guy really, if I'm throwing out a grade. Um, of course, I always say I like to utilize the collaborative approach. I look for information. I'll look at prospects live. I'll look at fan graphs. I'll look at other places and look for information that's out there and I'll gather it and I'll, and I'll utilize the information that I see is necessary for fans and, and for others to know. Um, but it's not a regurgitation of old news, so to speak. It will be fresh, new, clean I think clean looking. Yeah. And we'll have it at the top menu as, as always too. You can go up to the prospect rankings at the top of the site and uh, we'll update that as soon as the, you know, as soon as we finish the rankings and uh, in the meantime, continue to, you know, check out the death charts and the payroll that we work hard on. Um, update that as news changes. We'll try to update the payroll and with or the death chart with, you know, the most updated information based on the roster and, and, how things are kind of playing out. So stay tuned there and we'll, uh, we'll try to bring some other content in the meantime. I know if you haven't checked it out, Willie's got the, the MLB draft rankings at the top. We'll have more of that later this year. I know you're looking forward to putting more of that together as the year goes on as college baseball season starts here in a few weeks, finally. So everybody, everybody take a look at that. <laughs> That's good. That's good news. We're going to have some live baseball. And with college baseball coming back, that means maybe, hopefully. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Speaking of which, I know if you hung on this long, I'll keep saying it too. We have <laughs> some new coming aboard. If you haven't seen Michael Moore's piece on the uh, Shane Bieber contract extension projection model, he that's still out there as well. That are going to be covering the minor leagues at Akron to Columbus to Lake County. In Arizona, we have Joe, and then we're hoping to find somebody in Lynchburg. So um, we've got a full staff for 2021 to cover the minor leagues if there's a season. So looking forward to good news ahead, finally. Well, from Willie, I'm Joe. We will – or I'm Joe. No, I'm not Joe. Okay, this is clearly going on too long. I'm Justin, and I'm going to get out of here because it's been a long day. And uh, Willie, thanks for joining me. We'll do this again soon.